Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Wines with Whiskey. I'm Clay, here with my wonderful hosts, Eric and Tom. How are you doing, boys? I'm feeling doing good. good, Clay. Doing good. <laughs> Fantastic. That's amazing. Let's get right into the news. <laughs> Sergeant First Class Alwyn Cash is set to receive his Medal of Honor. He'll be the first black service member since Vietnam to receive this distinction. Sergeant Cash ran back into a burning vehicle multiple times to receive his soldiers from it. Doing so, he became drenched in fuel and was himself caught on fire, causing 72% of his body to receive second and third degree burns. Sergeant Cash later died as a result of his injuries. True American hero. Yeah, an honor that is uh, truly too long in the making. Uh, Sergeant Cash is being recognized because, uh, in addition to um, rescuing those soldiers from the burning vehicle, he was single-handedly holding off about a hundred Iraqi fighters, uh, manning a uh, machine gun position while they were able to further evacuate those soldiers. Um, I think it was in total he received something like 15 to 16 uh, rounds to his um, IOTV uh, and only finally succumbed after the enemies uh, took a tower that was nearby uh, and managed to kind of take a cheap shot at him. Um, so really an amazing individual uh, who really embodied that idea of selfless service. Uh, like I said, a, a recognition that has you know, been in the making for a while and uh, fully, fully deserved. Wow pretty astounding uh, in other news the games of the 32nd olympiad began last week in tokyo japan after a delay of over a year due to covid 19 though it will be without the sanctioned russian team and without several athletes who have tested positive for covid in the days before the events and also apparently uh with specifically made beds uh to deny athletes the things that athletes like to do allegedly well apparently that's not true (laughs) (laughs) environmental uh considerations taken into effect (laughs) in my christian olympics no way sir A player of the popular historical tank game, War Thunder, posted a classified military document in hopes of improving the accuracy of the Challenger 2 tank model in that game. The user, identified only as Challenger 2 Commander, posted excerpts from a Army Equipment Support publication to reveal that the game developers had not modeled the tank correctly in-game. Um, imagine going to jail because your tank game didn't make one tank realistic enough for you (laughs) his dedication to authenticity cannot be overstated yeah i mean at least that but definitely not uh security practices (laughs) (laughs) opsec is hard guys opsec is hard (laughs) i don't know in this case it probably should have been pretty easy Tens of thousands of Hungarians took part in a pride parade in Budapest this past week, in part as protests against newly passed anti-LGBT laws in this country. Yeah, we can't kind of uh, overstate the bravery of these people uh, out there, uh, you know, engaging in this march. Um, 
as you probably already know, uh, Budapest uh, in Hungary have laws on the books that make it illegal to even distribute LGBT literature uh, to people under 18. Uh, the country has been cracking down uh, on activists. Uh, so even just the act of uh, protesting and, you know, making it clear that this kind of discrimination is intolerable anywhere uh, is a, you know, act of bravery within itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And finally, billionaires in space. <laughs> Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos both flew into space this past week on private launches, sending a completely new and previously unimagined precedent for space travel. But save your roast, boys. We'll leave some time for it at the end. Ooh, I'm so ready for this. If you make me. <laughs> <laughs> for now, what are we drinking? Well, uh, I had the honor of hosting uh, one Eric at my home uh, in the past couple weeks here. Mm -hmm. um, Eric, they finally fixed my air conditioner. Uh, oh so I know that's pretty big God. news. Um, poor, poor, How did that not make it into our news? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> poor Eric came down to visit me, and literally the day he got here, uh, the uh, air conditioner went out. Uh, and, of course, I have been sent to a uh, remote area where uh, – known for its heat and humidity so the poor guy had to deal with like we, we like went out and at one point like bought a window uh air conditioner unit just to try yeah. to make it somewhat tolerable uh but you know that naturally when it's hot outside what do you need to do you need to get provisions that will allow you to cool off uh so eric got me a nice <laughs> bottle of russell's reserve uh so i am it's a little early in the morning to be drinking it straight so i'm cutting it with my uh morning cup of coffee fantastic well 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 we're going to have a, a redux of last week's, or last, oh, no. last episode, because I, I, well, it's not bourbon, but it's Jameson in my cup of coffee this morning. <laughs> oh. Well, to pull back the curtain, I am also drinking coffee with liquor in it. Whoa, a triple, <laughs> oh baby, a triple. <laughs> pull back the curtain, it's pretty early in the morning here, and um, I've just got Kahlua in mine. Eric took me out and got me pretty messed up last night. So <laughs> There's a, a common theme between the dog. two of you. <laughs> yeah, actually. When, I'm starting to think you might be a bad influence. Yeah, yeah right. When, uh, when Eric came down to visit me, uh, we were we we went out on the town. It was, I am not as young as I used to be. And Eric definitely proved that. <laughs> My, uh, I don't, uh, you know, I, I drink enough. Uh, right. Yeah, Eric definitely tapped into what i what i used to be <laughs> <laughs> well so before we uh before we move on from the what are we drinking as we sit here drinking our alcohol laced coffees recording our podcast and in honor of the olympics i have a question for you <laughs> i actually have two questions so i'll start with the first one mm -hmm. if you could do any event in the olympics and be competitive, you know, not necessarily guaranteed to medal, but you're you're going to be a contender. What what event would you pick? Start with you, Eric. Um, so is this is this a is this a sport? Any sport, even one I I don't have any experience in. Yeah, you you will tomorrow morning become a top contender. Okay, I think it's got to be swimming because that's like the big like one of the biggest events for the U.S. So that's a great way to maximize. Yeah you know, future potential, I think. 
All right. I like it. I like it. <laughs> what about you, Tom? Um. So, okay, so just let me get this one straight. So this this option number one is I wake up tomorrow and suddenly I'm amazing at it, correct? Yeah. Okay. Um. I think it would be one of two things. Um, I just wa- we watched um, uh, the uh, documentary last night, uh, Free Solo, the one about uh, free soloing uh, El Cap. So part of me okay. wants to be good at uh, rock climbing now. Um, but this, which is an Olympic event which now. Which is now an mm-hmm. Olympic event. Uh, but if I think I could wake up tomorrow and be good at anything, uh, I want to do that one where like the horses dance. Uh, the one that Mitt Romney has a horse in. Is that, um, isn't that dressage? Is that what that is? I, I think that's what it's called. But I think that would be like quite the flex to just like show up at a party with a horse and then have the horse start like dancing around the party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I like it. All right. Well, well, Clay, you have to not answer this. I uh, So I would probably also pick swimming, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is swimming at this point Great is mind. basically Maryland's. <laughs> You know, state sport. Yeah, so. it really is, honestly. Get the fuck out of and here. And it's uh, definitely a national pastime every four years. Yeah. So. <laughs> they actually, there was a really interesting article uh, the other day. I want to say it was in the Times. Uh, but it talked about how um, basically a lot of professional swimmers, that's just like you mentioned where it's like a pastime, but it's only a pastime every four years. So um, they were interviewing a couple members of the Olympics uh, swim team and with the obvious exception of like Michael Phelps, um, it's actually pretty hard for a lot of these athletes to make a living in between uh, Olympics each year or each yeah. every four years. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's true of a, a lot of sports, yeah. actually. Definitely yeah. the uh, three-on-three basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so I have a follow-up question. Okay, then. thank you. Let's say. Tomorrow morning, you got a call from the Olympic Committee, mm-hmm. the U.S. Olympic Committee, mm-hmm. and they said, pack your bag, we need you in Tokyo right now, don't ask how we picked you, we just drew names out of a hat. But you got you get to pick your event, so what event are you going to do to try and not humiliate yourself? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> what event do you think you have the best shot at competing in tomorrow at an Olympic level? Oof. Um... Well, I'll preface this with, I am not at an Olympic, uh, there are very few things that I think I'm even, like, remotely good at, let alone Olympic <laughs> level, uh, uh, when it comes to, when it comes to athletics. Um, I've, I've done uh, a couple of marathons now, so maybe the marathon, um, like, they would have to, I would be the guy that, like, they have, like, the van creeping behind, because they're like, hey, like, you're about to embarrass yourself, like, uh, <laughs> um, Another one I might do, um, I thought maybe ping pong, but then I remember how fast that game is, so maybe not. Um, <laughs> yeah, that one feels like a really high barrier to entry, actually. Yeah, maybe yeah I, I agree. I have to drink. Um, but, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. <laughs> Again, maybe just the one with the horse yeah. dancing. Like, at that point, like, I think, feel like it's the horse that's important <clears throat> in that one. I'm just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> Yeah, as long as you get the good horse. You know? <laughs> as, long, as long as the horse knows what he's doing. I'll just <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. The horse is doing like 95% of the work for sure. So that's probably a good selection. Um, you know, I would, there's probably two as well. I would first say like fencing since as, as a, as a, as my, in my youth, I qualified to qualify for the junior Olympic team. Eric so that really was interesting. Yeah. 
but that, qualified to qualify yeah so that was interesting but i also would maybe do like archery like going back to to some of my roots as well you know uh i definitely again not good Definitely I, I not feel like you like level. I feel like you were born in the so, period. Like between your like proficiency at like fencing and archery, you really should have been like I don't know one of like Robin Hood's merry men or something like that. He's a Renaissance man. Yeah, literally. just like like walking around. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, your, uh, your taste for mead, I feel like uh, you know would have been perfect. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, and people are like, I wish I was born in like 1960 so I could be part of like the anti-war movement or shit like that. No, I probably should have been born in like six or like whatever, whatever. What was Robin like Hood? Fourteen eighty. Yeah, like fourteen eighty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so for me, I think, uh, and let me preface this by saying, obviously, all Olympic athletes have an incredible level of fitness and technique and skill uh but hard disagree on all (laughs) olympians absolutely not have you seen the people who have you seen the guys who do curling they got the dad gut curling is someone who has gotten involved in a uh drunken escapade into what then resulted in a curling game i'll tell you the story later it's harder than it looks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's fair but yeah that sounds like a segment right there um but i just want to say you know some of the some specific competitions uh seem to be a little bit more conducive to <laughs> gentlemen who are a little thicker around the waist uh and so i think for me it would have to be the hammer throw mm. or the shot put mm. seems like they're having a little bit of extra girth <laughs> is actually an advantage you can get more momentum going so well, he's got the raw power you should do doing like the exactly, dead weight yeah. lifting or like the overhead power lifting you know <laughs> well there you have it uh <laughs> international olympic committee when you need uh when you need to yeah. fill in because your uh your athletes are down from the coronavirus you know who to call and we're all vaccinated <laughs> yeah who are you gonna call yeah Wonks with whiskey I'll be expecting yeah. the call at the end of the week. Yeah. Well, we still have a couple days before it's published, so. <laughs> I yeah, whenever the end of the week that no, no, you're no, no, listening, no. I'll know, of course. the members of the International Olympic Committee are all, like, first-day downloaders. Like, they have, like, a little notification set up. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course. Absolutely. We have long enjoyed the support of the International Olympic Committee as listeners. <laughs> So, boys, uh, as is not unexpected uh, from any of our listeners, uh, I am a huge nerd. Uh, And as a huge nerd, I read books about people that most people uh, might say, who? Um, And Or why. why, why I think why would be the more common one. Why is usually a better one. Um, But I have to give a shout out uh, because I recently read one of these books. uh, And I'm going to be honest, it got my, I learned a lot. Uh, It got me thinking about a lot of different things. Uh, but the name of the book is John Quincy Adams, Militant Spirit, um, by James mm. Traub. Uh, it was a fascinating uh, kind of uh, biography about Adams. Uh, I really learned a lot about his life. A um, couple interesting things. This guy was essentially like bred by his father, President John Adams, um, to be what is essentially like... I know Franklin is considered like America's first diplomat. Uh, but I think John Quincy Adams kind of earns the title like America's first professional diplomat. 
Um, he served as his father's secretary. Uh, when Are you calling Benjamin Franklin unprofessional? Yes. <laughs> calling him amateur. <laughs> I'm just saying, out of these two men, only one of them uh, was thought to be a serial killer because he was stealing uh, bodies when he was in London. Yeah, that was a big problem. <laughs> but um, just to kind of give you a little bit of background on Adams um, in terms of his uh, uh, diplomatic chops, if you will. Um, so when he was like 15, he sailed across the Atlantic with his father uh, while his dad was uh, acting as an American ambassador to uh, France. He was one of three over there, including Benjamin Franklin. Um, mm. He ended up serving at a young age as a secretary to the America's first envoy to um, Russia. Uh, he later served in his own right as ambassador to the Netherlands, ambassador to Russia, ambassador to um, England. Uh, after the uh, Revolutionary War. Um, and then he uh, eventually was called upon to serve as the Secretary of State under Pre President uh, James Monroe. Uh, he's largely the figure that helped crafted what became known as the Monroe Doctrine. Uh, and then he was elected president in his own right. Uh, that was less successful. Um, he eventually lost to uh, old Andy Jackson, uh, a man who I have many thoughts on, but that's for a different podcast. Um, and then uh, would if decide that public service was still something he wanted to do. So he was uh, a, he would run uh, and win a seat in the United States Senate, where he would serve until his death. Um, one of the interesting things uh, I was reading was about a speech he gave um, back in the early days of the Republic. It was traditional that on the Fourth of July, uh, a speaker would be recognized, and they would come out and they would read the Declaration of Independence. And then kind of add their own little repertoire to the end of it. Um, when their own little pizzazz, little little pizzazz, <laughs> you know, kind of kind of some things where they uh, they thought about it. Uh, so to give you the context, this was the spring of 1821, um, and one of uh, Clay's uh, heroes. Um, oh yes. <laughs> do you want to say it, Clay? Is it Henry Clay? It is in fact Henry Clay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, at the time uh south america uh was in the process of throwing off the yoke of their colonial overlords uh and henry clay uh being more of a uh we'll say proto absolute legend <laughs> more of a like proto uh george w bush administration was like you see them over there they need some liberation um so he <laughs> And he was attacking the Monroe administration, and specifically Adams, the Secretary of State, for not uh, rallying to the defense of these freedom-loving, uh, freedom-seekers, I guess. Um, he supported the what he called South American patriots, uh, and said that, um, actually suggested that they make a, and I'm quoting here, a sort of counterpose to the Holy Alliance, uh, where... They would basically go in and make a Republican alliance with these uh, South American rebels and commit the United States to the defense of basically an independent South America. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we were going to go in and, and freedom those guys. Uh, so John Quincy Adams was not about it. Uh, the policy under the Monroe uh, administration, again, largely led by John Quincy Adams, uh, was much more what you would describe today as a realist perspective um, in terms of international um, uh, affairs schools of thought. Um, so Adams decided to use this as he moves into his Fourth of July speech. Um, and 
He essentially used this speech to lay out a program whose supreme goal was to preserve American values and extend American powers without involving America in the kind of nitty-gritty of independence making. So uh, in his speech, and I'm quoting here, uh, he said, uh, or rather he observed, that America has sustained from interference in the concerns of others, even when the conflict has been for principles to which she clings as to the last vital drop that visits the heart. She goes abroad in search, not she goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. She is the well-wisher to the freedom and independence of the all. She is the champion and vindicator only of her own. So I thought this quote was interesting, um, and of course, being the nerd that I am, I started thinking about modern American history. Um, and the thesis that I proposed to my two good friends for this segment was to discuss kind of the national security requirements of our current time um, and see if the sentiments expressed by Adams kind of matched with what we can expect today. So uh, with that being said, what do you boys think? So, well, so go ahead. I, I you know, I, I think that it Adams was, was not, I, I might have a bit of a different interpretation than, than the two of you. I think Adams was not saying that we should never, you know, get involved with, you know, the, 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 the pursuit of liberty for other, in other countries, but just, I guess, maybe as like a caution to be like, maybe we don't get stuck in forever wars that we can't get out of, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that we, we shouldn't involve ourselves too deeply or be too far entrenched in matters that aren't like necessarily our own. Interesting. What do you think, Le? Well, I think it's interesting because you also have to think of um, the the context of the period. Um, it was kind of simultaneously like a period of democratic revolution. You know, we're talking about South America as the direct context. The French Revolution was preceded this by just a few decades. Um but also uh you're kind of about to go into a period of extremely heightened uh colonialism like a renewed spirit of colonialism from the european powers and mm-hmm. the division of africa the scramble for africa and um kind of like in more intervention in asia with the opium wars and things like that um so it's definitely a tumultuous time and the United States was a young nation at that point. Uh, so in the context, I think that uh, Quincy Adams was probably making an astute decision, which is that we're not a superpower yet. We gotta we gotta chill and not jump at every opportunity to get engaged in meddling in foreign affairs. Yeah, I'll add, too, to uh, what Clay was saying. This was also the lead-up to uh, the kind of manifest destiny uh, era of American history as well. Uh, So a lot of what Adams was thinking about uh, when he was saying that, um, you know, America kind of had to focus on its own stuff, he was talking about expansionism. He was talking about uh, kind of running out and trying to expand the United States from, uh, you know, the Atlantic to all the way out to the Pacific. Sea to shining sea. Yeah, so when he was talking about, um, you know, not becoming involved in foreign affairs, it was because he wanted to 
you know, run over some poor Native Americans in an effect to grow the size of the United States and secure those resources. Yeah, so I think um, I think the sentiment at the time, uh, you know, I think we have to be careful when trying to apply it to the present because deeply different contexts. You know, the United States is now, some would argue, the world's only remaining superpower. Uh, we'll see what China has to say about that. Sorry, China. Um, Never apologize to China. <laughs> Uh, but we'll, so, you know, at that time, United States wasn't even making, like, he, they weren't even cracking, like, top ten clickbait lists at that <laughs> point, so. Yeah, I think, I think it is, uh, that's definitely a good point that you bring up, Clay, uh, and I think that kind of, um, unless Eric wants to respond directly to that, um, I think that's kind of a good understanding of what the second part of the thesis then becomes is do they meet the 21st century demands, which then the question is, what are our 21st century demands? Um, and I think those demands are quite different than what Adams was facing. So I, I do want to, before we get into that, I do want to say that I, I, I'm not necessarily sure, I, I, and I want to discuss a little bit more my interpretation since it's a little bit different from the two of you's. Yeah. Because um, there's specifically one portion of the speech, and I'm going to say it as fast as I can, but this was written in 1821, so their, <laughs> their brevity was not their strong suit. Uh, <laughs> they, they didn't have TV, guys. They just, all they had was people talking, yeah. so. Yeah, this is, this is all they had to look forward to. Well, yeah, nobody had anything better to do than to sit there and listen. Yeah, exactly. This is all they had to look forward to, so they might as well make it as long as possible. <laughs> so in, 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 in his speech... Adams also says <clears throat> she she well knows that by once enlisting other under other banners than her own, were they even the banners of foreign independence, she would involve herself beyond the power of extrication. In all the wars of interest and intrigue, of individual avarice, envy, and ambition, which assume the colors and usurp the standard of freedom. Um, and so this is really where I'm also drawing my interpretation from this speech. Is saying, I think he... Uh, and, and I certainly do appreciate, and I, I generally would agree, mainly about the context as well, that, that the two of you uh, have just laid out. But I, I think that he's not necessarily saying, let's never, ever get involved in anyone else's business, but let's do it on our own terms, rather than being under someone else's banner for it. Like, we should be pursuing it as America doing it, instead of, like... We're uh, we're funding, uh, <laughs> you know, some some organization to overthrow uh, its its current uh, leadership. So I don't know. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I don't think the two interpretations are necessarily at odds with each other. I think that it it makes sense that Adams would be um, wary of kind of the fundamentals of the American Revolution, which of course they were celebrating on that day being observed by too much interference of America in uh, kind of foreign issues. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, like I said, uh, kind of said in the, the background, John Quincy Adams was a major uh, kind of author of the Monroe Doctrine. The Monroe Doctrine, of course, kind of s splitting the world into hemispheres and telling European powers like, you guys, you guys... Stay on your side of the line and yeah. we'll stay on Basically. ours, fella. And a lot of the, the kind of reasoning behind that and a lot of the fear of the early uh kind of the the second generation of americans if you will uh was the worry that european powers were usurp 
the kind of purity, for lack of a better word, of the original revolution. Um, so I think Eric makes a good point about that. Yeah, and I, I and I guess specifically, maybe I should have also said this earlier, you know, a lot of the context following that of the Monroe Doctrine really being that the U.S. gets the hegemony over the Americas, I think... I, I would I, I guess may lend more cre- lend some credence at least to the fact that he's not necessarily saying we'll never ever go to war to help anyone else ever but like you but know at the end of the day it's the American interest that still yeah uh, uh, reigns well because if that I mean if that's our interpretation then I mean, that's a philosophy we've stuck with for a long time now we're not doing anything unless it benefits us yeah because even you know the monroe doctrine even you know was stating that any you know intervention in politics of the americas by foreign powers was a hostile attack against the united states which i think is an interesting distinction rather than a hostile intervention on behalf of the other countries that are getting intervened on but it's an attack on the u.s which i think is a lot of also what adams was saying like we got to put i guess God, I hate I'm going to have to say this. Put America first. Oh, oh no. no. I was wondering, I was wondering how long it would take for that phrase to be Oh, God. I, like, I oh, wanted to like vomit right now. But I think that's what he's trying to say. He's like... No, we, I, I, I think I'm Donald Trump, John Quincy Adams, basically... Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, it, it, it's actually kind of funny. Because I think Eric, yeah. uh, unfortunately, makes a, a really good point about uh, where Adams was going with this. Because let's, mm-hmm. let's be honest. In, as I kind of mentioned earlier... John Quincy Adams really was like the diplomat scholar who would essentially shape Cold War policy. Um, when it comes to uh, containment uh, or it comes to like the school of realism, a lot of the ideas that John Quincy Adams was kind of laying down here fed into uh, that. The idea of kind of national security interest rather than moral principles. Um, I think, uh, which I think actually serves as a good segue, unless you guys kind of have any uh, closing thoughts on it, into the demands of the 21st century. Um, I would argue that um, I disagree with kind of the idea of, well, actually I strongly disagree with the idea of the American first policies kind of that came out of the Trump administration. But really the realism school in general, um, I think kind of butt up against what our actual uh, 21st century demands are. Um, I think and maybe the best way to do this is we just kind of go around and we can each kind of lay out a couple of what we think the demands are. Um, yeah, let's rock it to the present. Yeah. I want to get out of the 1800s. Sounds good. So, <laughs> so I think in the 21st century, um, America as a, again, whether a the only global superpower or one of the uh, superpowers, depending on kind of how you want to dissect that one, uh, which again is kind of a topic for another podcast, um, we still have a duty to preserve democratic ideals. Uh, while I don't necessarily think that duty extends to something a la 2003 invasion of Iraq, we're going to give them freedom real good. I think that America benefits from a open uh, society. I think America benefits from a world where the global uh, kind of liberal order prevails. Uh, and by that, I mean like small L liberalism, not necessarily you know capital L liberalism. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea of, you know, free trade, free markets. Um, free markets make free people. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> reduce barrier to trade, reduce barrier to travel. Uh, the idea of uh, kind of referee organizations, whether it be uh, the UN, the WHO, um, you know, the ICC, kind of r- rules of the road that help uh, move forward everyone. While it might not always be the 
best interest of any particular nation, that's kind of how you know it's working. But Eric, you hmm. you have been making some faces. What do you think? You know, I, I don't know. I I think if you could if you squint at this point in time, pretty much anything's national security interest. You know, <laughs> well, no, no, I think that's actually. I also think that's a fantastic point, uh, which I kind of want to. You know, a little bit later. Yeah. Because I when and you know to pull back the curtain when we were discussing this, you know, we wanted to you know before recording, we wanted to have this point where we discuss you know what are our twenty first century security demands, and as I was at least as I was sitting here thinking about that and doing some research, I was saying you know literally almost anything at this point is a national security interest, whether like access to internet, clean water, trade, energy mm-hmm. production. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, and like you pretty much anything nowadays is a national security interest. So. It's really hard, I think, to to try and be be thoughtful and nuanced about um, approaches to national security interests because they're so wide. Mm-hmm. Without without you know either under or over reacting to certain things, yeah. uh, you know. And I, I so of course the America First policy was trash. Uh, and, and so, yes. in a we, number we of can ways, at least three or, <laughs> we can all agree yeah. on that. Just out of yeah. the gate. <laughs> and, and so, also, you know, I, it's also a struggle for me personally as well. You know, in that, you know, it, a lot of what what Tom was saying. You know, does America have, I guess, a duty to, as arguably the remaining superpower, to then help spur democratic growth in other countries? Or, you know, should it not and be fear of, of, you know, imperialism or, you know, affecting its will, maybe uh, without popular support in other countries, you know. Mm-hmm. So so to, I think for me, at least, there's a lot of contention with that internally as well. Um, but I'm also interested to see what Clay is also yeah, thinking what, what about do you think, this. But... Yeah, so, I mean, I think this ultimately comes back to the, the fundamental... Uh, issue in foreign policy which is interventionism uh, versus uh, for lack of a better term laissez-faire diplomacy uh-huh. hands-off diplomacy um and you know where where do you draw that line you know it's um when it comes to the hunting of monsters or uh, you know uh, whatever it was that Quincy Adams said the the searching yeah. for monsters. She goes not abroad yeah. in search of monsters to destroy. Yes, uh, I think in you know in a modern context we have to you know there's a limit to non-interventionism mm-hmm. uh, because you know as as you were alluding to Eric the world is increasingly increasingly interconnected um, and. Uh, to quote the West Wing, because you can build a bomb in your country and bring it to my country very easily. What's happening in your country is a little bit my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, uh, uh, and I think because of, you know, and we're kind of moving away from counter uh, counterinsurgency as a uh, a mode, and I'm <laughs> yeah, is, not saying coin that, is uh, dead. Long live near peer threats. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and you know, I'm not saying that the the Iraq and Afghanistan wars were justified because now, looking back, we can see they were clearly not. But 
at the same time, I think as as a as United States as a sometimes reviled uh, superpower in some circles, we have to also be aware that there are gonna be threats that are abroad that are non-state actors or maybe state actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, maybe we we shouldn't be we shouldn't be doing foreign adventuring to distract from domestic issues like Russia does, but we should be aware of the threats that exist and prepared to act. Uh, so I think there's a there's a limit to how far Adams's sentiment can apply today yeah and i think it's i think it's interesting because both of you have referenced uh you know with the global war on terror i think that might represent one facet of the total like toolbox of american diplomacy in the context and i think it serves as a good like warning about kind of what adams was was worrying about i think um more so iraq necessarily than afghanistan um i think both wars suffered more from a lack of clear kind of uh, uh, clear understanding of what the objectives were. Um, but I think, and again, more so Iraq than Afghanistan, that, that's, I think, is a good example of the going abroad in search of monsters to destroy, more so than um, meeting the demands of the security interests. Um, kind of stepping back from the counterinsurgency idea, though, and, and reframing it in the more global, uh, like, world, liberal world order that I was referring to earlier, um, I think being engaged in the world um, also answers the mail on the idea that, um, you know, the, the global order, just like nature, hates a void. Um, and I think one of the issues that we've seen, especially with the America First policy, is the idea that when America retreats from the world, something's going to fill it. It's not just like, oh, America isn't uh, becoming engaged with country X, therefore country X is going to do its own thing. Um, in reality, country X is going to start to be, you know, getting calls, uh, you know, the you up text from places like China or Russia uh, or Iran. Right. Um, it's not yeah. like, oh, America steps back so everyone gets to do their own thing. Um, and that's just kind of the reality of how, you know, the international diplomacy works. Um, yeah. While that, And I feel like being involved on that level, like whether it's investing in infrastructure or uh, kind of promoting promoting democracy can be taken all sorts of ways. Um, but I think that's a way to prevent kind of what we saw with Iraq and Afghanistan. And Eric, I can tell you definitely want to touch on that point. Yeah, so and, and so I think it, what I have two points, but I think they merge into one and, and certainly top of what you were just saying. Mm-hmm. So first point, which is really quick, is that I think Adam's quote was also uh, a, a, almost a casualty of his time. Because uh, yeah, as as a res- we 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 certainly have a lot more tools in our toolbox than yeah. certainly just yeah. going and destroying somebody, um, you know. For example, diplomacy, uh, sanctions, things like that, which we make <laughs> use of heavily. Um, so I, I do want. So firstly, that. Secondly, to jump off of what Tom was saying, you know, in March of this year, uh, the Biden administration, you know, released its interim national security strategic guidance memo i guess yes. i'm not quite sure what this is and in it it's a uh, for our readers who may not know so uh and uh regularly the white house will release that report and it's supposed to serve as a guide uh kind of guidelines for the national security infrastructures so that state department that's uh 
energy departments, uh, nuclear regulatory branches, that's the State Department, kind of providing a guideline for what they expect the security posture to be for uh, the right. next mm-hmm. you know decade. It always, this is a quick sidebar, it always cracks me up that we're talking about uh, the energy department is always someone we talk about with national security because they're the ones who do all the nuclear stuff. It's just funny. Rick Perry. Rick, I can't remember the third thing I was going to list, was in charge of our nuclear security (laughs) for a good little bit there. Just think about that. Anyway, sorry, Eric, go ahead. (laughs) What a nightmare. Um, and, and, and so in this, you know, they, they put out what they want to, you know, what they want to be. They're like core strategic positions, yeah. uh, building ec- better economic foundations, reclaiming U.S.'s place in international institutions, lifting up our values at home and speak out to defend them abroad, modernizing military capabilities and leading with diplomacy first. And so... I think those really illustrate, you know, that we have a lot more tools in our tool chest and the military is certainly one part of it, mm-hmm. but, you know, it was one of, I think, like four or five that I just spoke about that, yeah. you know, right. that the, that the, you know, United States is now trying to use as their strategic, you know, for their, na- you know, strategic core for national security interests. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I certainly think, you know, of course, building better economies, making sure that, you know, more people have more rights and are more equitable, you know, worldwide. And, and you know, espousing, mm-hmm. you know, values of freedom, um, security, prosperity, peace, mm-hmm. you know, helps worldwide so that we might be able to, you know, prevent monsters from happening in the first place. And so, exactly. right. And I think, you know, even Eric, uh, I think that's kind of to, to highlight your point even farther. I think that's where Iraq kind of went wrong. Um, I mean, you know, yes. the 3rd Infantry Division in the Thunder Run, like, it was a work of art. Like, man, they the invasion of Iraq was, like, textbook uh, military operation. Like, it was succinct, it was successful, it was overwhelming firepower, uh, and it seized the objective in, you know, record speeds. It was the second part where we realized how bad the military is at diplomacy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the the usage of the military as our fix it all, do everything, multi tool was a bad, bad move. Yeah. The military is very good at what it does, uh, and not so great at the things that it wasn't designed to do. <laughs> right. You know, when you're a hammer, yeah, all exactly. your problems look like a nail. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Right. And I think, exactly. um, and I think a lot of what Eric is alluding to too goes back to um, Joseph Nye's idea of smart power. Um, is that you know the idea is that you have you know two different types of power. You have hard power, which is where you you know send in the Third Infantry Division into you know Iraq and push everything down. Uh, soft power is the idea of kind of what we were talking about. You know, investing in infrastructures, um, investing in um, kind of the types of program. It's the carrot to the stick, kind of. Investing in these countries so that they're more inclined to uh, support the systems that we agree with. Um, And then Joseph Nye was, like, sitting in his Harvard office, and he's like, you want to know what will be a really good idea? Is if we combined them. (laughs) And I'm going to call it (laughs) smart power. Because who's going to disagree with something called smart power? But, but yeah, it's the idea that diplomacy uh, and really the demands... And in order to meet the 21st century demands, uh, requires a whole litany of tools. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, Eric, I really want to hit on it again, because I, I think you made a really good point. 
were uh, it, it was both of you really I think is the idea that everything is national security nowadays um, just because it all it all feeds into directly what affects us in the homeland yeah and, and you know I think especially because Adams's you know statement was back in 1821 the world was certainly much different <laughs> a lot more isolated yes. from each other as well yeah so that being said though it yeah. is amazing yeah. another west wing quote back in that day the easiest way to get entangled with an engagement was via rope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true well i think it's interesting too to really think though how how much uh legs quincy adams is ideas really had though because up until really world war ii um with the slight blip uh that was uh you know kind of the wilsonian democracy in world war one America's stance on these things really was, you know, you mind your business, we'll mind ours. Um, yeah. yeah. And even definitely. really World War One, like I said, while there was kind of that idea of, you know, the war to end our wars and the uh, promotion of uh, the glo- liberal global order, <laughs> I mean, the United States Senate put a real quick stop to that idea. Um, and then they're just the kind of... Yeah, college- and I mean, both World War One and World War Two, the United States, that sentiment was still really strong that in world war one we really did not get involved until pretty much the 11th hour yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and even world war Two, going back to the point that eric made about um you know not actually doing it until america's interests were directly involved i mean while world war Two then evolved into us kind of helping to create this uh international infrastructure we didn't join it until we were attacked at pearl harbor yeah right but, exactly but yeah kind of uh oh sorry go ahead eric no, so I was th- I was gonna say you know, maybe we should then refocus this because I think we're really hitting this this question here. But and, and you know does does Adams' statement I guess that meet the twenty first century demands for national security? I think we can all pretty much say, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I would say I would say it provides um, <clears throat> maybe a philosophy that should be incorporated as you know a train of thought, but not. Uh, it is not sufficient on its own mm-hmm. to meet our needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, Eric, it's, at the very least, it's a victim of its time. Yeah. Um, I think it serves as a good warning, the idea of like not going abroad in, monsters, in search of monsters to destroy. Like, I feel like the, the demands of our uh, current security uh, doesn't rely on us to like, you know, go all like Napoleon on it and invade Moscow because they might be a threat. Um, but at the same time, it can't be that total uh, inward-looking uh, ideology either. Yeah, because I was really about to say, you know, if we look, you know, China's influence on the continent of Africa is really mm-hmm. ramping up. And there's, you know, if you squint, there's a lot of national security interests for the United States that happens in Africa. You know, do we, you know, does does this statement to say, well, we'll ignore it until it actually starts affecting us? Or do we be like, oh, well... Maybe we should also try and like exert, you know, some influence either economically, uh, politically, you know, right. whatever, to to help, you know, secure. I'm going to do air quotes national security for the <laughs> United States, you know. Yeah. So it, it it it's difficult because as much as casualty this time, I mean, does it also almost to me says you're not allowed to try and prevent a problem that you see developing yes. until yes. it becomes a problem, yes. you know that, and that I don't think was ever really a good idea. You know, no. if you if you could see a problem, you should probably fix it before it actually becomes a problem. You know, a stitch in time saves nine. <laughs> <four policies. laughs> 
What, what do you think, Clay? Any kind of closing thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I mean, I definitely think, you know, there's there's an appeal to the statement, right? That America will take care of itself and always love its friends and people who follow our philosophy of government. Sending thoughts and prayers. We're not going to... Yes, exactly. But we're not going to go abroad. And that's definitely a really appealing sentiment, especially after two... Ex- well, really, basically just one with two acts. Uh, forever wars mm-hmm. in the Middle East. And, you know, it's very appealing to say, like, all right, like, we're out. Like, we're done for a minute. Um, but, uh, like you guys have said, it's just we have tools in our tool chest you know we have great you know international organizations and you know the existence of an international community and international law which did not exist back then mm-hmm. um and we have uh you know a, i would say a responsibility not to be the world police but to be engaged in as a leader on the world stage because uh, like you said tom it, if you if America steps back, it's not just that that role doesn't stay empty. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody will want to fill it. And we might not like what that uh, actor is about. Exactly. And I think it's also one of those, and um, not to, to drag the conversation on any longer, uh, but I think you made a good point, too, about the America being the world police. It doesn't have to be America alone, either. And I think that's what kind of was the underlying yes. current of the conversation, too, is the idea that... Uh, in addition to, we can be a leader, but that doesn't mean we need to be the only leader. Like we need to, like part of the uh, demands is engaging with those alliances, whether it be NATO, whether it be NAFTA, whether it be, you know, G20, whatever it is, uh, in order to help guide those uh, kind of principles. Yeah. yeah. But. Definitely. Well, there you have it. John Quincy Adams, you know, go f*** yourself. Uh, we... Yeah, suck it, idiot. <laughs> You're so dumb. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what, all these, all, you know, I read off this entire resume before we started, but once once again, three white guys sitting in their house making a podcast have solved all the global issues. <laughs> yeah, we fixed foreign policy well, in 25 minutes. You're welcome, So, uh, we alluded to this a little bit in our news, uh, but uh, in late July, both Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos engaged in a, a little bit of a, a private I think you mean dick race. measuring contest. Um, <laughs> yes, a private <laughs> dick measuring contest that was actually very public. <laughs> uh, a public dick measuring contest. Yeah. Uh, and basically using their mass quantities of wealth to just go into space for funsies for funsies um yeah yeah for funsies just to basically say i went to space because i'm well also let's be clear Um, let's also be very clear about saying go to space branson only went 50 miles up which is where the u.s military says the space quote space starts but there's also the internationally recognized Carmen line, which is about 12 miles higher than that, which is where Bezos went. But Bezos is also only there for four f***ing minutes. 
So two billionaires playing a game of... Yeah, it's uh, not exactly Apollo 11. Two billionaires playing a game of just the tip. (laughs) 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 But yeah, so, I mean, I think, uh, as as Clay is alluding to, uh, and as our joke cracking probably conveys, uh, not not super impressed. Um, I remember... I remember a time when billionaires used to, you know, show off by building libraries or universities uh, instead of just wasting a bunch of money launching themselves in phallic-shaped objects to the very tiny <laughs> little bit of edge of space just to say they could. Yeah. Yeah, I find it deeply concerning that a single individual has the wealth and cachet to do what it took a decade of concerted effort of a world superpower to yeah. do. The you thing that I mean? bothers me about this is, is like none of this was done for like the benefit of mankind. This was this was a couple of egos that needed some love. Um, and it would be one thing exactly. too if there was like a concerted effort uh, by these gentlemen like like as a public service, but I mean we're talking about a guy who like fires people for wanting to go on a bathroom break. Like don't don't get it twisted. The yeah. reason Bezos was able to do this was because he underpays his employees like that yeah there, there's nothing i don't know it's it's well if you it, to me. if you remember too in his press conference he thanked everyone who bought stuff off amazon by saying you paid for this yeah like which you was know, just like i guess we could have used those profits to i don't bleh. know ensure that your your uh workers are you know have health care or a decent living wage but instead you yeah. know space yeah i mean <laughs> i think it, there's all twisted like yeah Listeners should know by now how interested the three of us are in space uh, travel and, and basically all things space. But this isn't this isn't that. Yeah, I mean, there's also a lot of no. things I think that people really aren't talking about. Firstly, they achieve basically nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, with all these all these headlines and shit, uh, oh, like it's a major milestone and like this is great advancement. They didn't do anything. This is no. nothing that's new. This is this is almost like business as usual. This is almost below the standard of business as usual for yeah. most. You know, like. John Glenn, like, when he went out, uh, he was the first man to orbit the Earth. These guys didn't do that. <laughs> Al Shepard, yeah. first, first American in space. They didn't really do that either. Like, <laughs> all yeah, they did so this was is... show how much money <laughs> these billionaires are willing to spend to, you know, start their amigas. Yeah, I mean, they could have just went on the vomit comet if they really wanted to, like, experience <laughs> some kind of, like, space, like, low-gravity thing. This is just ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I, I think this, you know, I, and as, as both you just alluded to, I think this really sets a bad precedent for space travel and development of, you know, space travel technology. Um, because this is, I think, this is a great way to lead to, like, some kind of, like, cyberpunk dystopia where billionaires and or corporations are the only individuals who are really interested in or developing space travel technology. I think it's pretty evident that at some point in our future, space travel will be the next step for human development. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we see corporations and billionaires are the people who are leading this charge, that's a really bad thing yeah. because their interests will never be aligned with no. the development of humanity. It just simply won't happen. No, it's, um, and it's by yeah, nature of yeah. what it is. I mean, a corporation exists for its shareholders. They exist to make a profit for people who are rich enough to buy their stocks. They will never care about advancing humanity, and they never have cared about advancing humanity. Yeah. Well, and this is this is yeah. part of the reason why, like SpaceX, I think is a terrible <laughs> advancement or quote advancement for space travel because again, it's another billionaire 
who's now who's trying to take charge of leading space develop or space travel development for you know the United States, I guess, or maybe some other countries as well. Yeah, and it's just as you guys are saying, uh, space travel is something that uh, fundamentally belongs in the public realm. Yeah, yeah, and so you know it. It's it's really disconcerting because then it, it then becomes a crazy way for me at least that as a result of these companies who are trying to take the lead on the space travel that you know agencies like NASA will then continue to be underfunded and crippled mm-hmm. in their ability to actually make yes. efforts for the benefit right, of society. Bezos will just take yeah care exactly. Of it. exactly like it gives ammunition to those people who want to defund these agencies. Yeah, because he's he's so wealthy. I mean, he owns the Washington Post. You know, he's he's able to influence many members of Congress, but probably all of them. And so, if he really wants it, he can probably make enough of a stink with them to further defund NASA. I mean, we don't even have a man. We don't really have a manned, you know, mission program anymore. We don't have the shuttle program. We're we're sending our astronauts up through. I don't know. I think it was Russia right now or, or a combination of a partnership with Russia or some other international country. I can't remember, but we don't even have our own space program right now because there's no funding. And so this is, this creates an awful precedent for, for any future travel or, or development of space travel. Yeah, definitely. And sh- definitely agree. Yeah. Very strongly. Yeah. Like I said, it's yeah. I, I Billionaires I... suck. Get out of my space. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, the the fact is, like, I, I'm just going to throw this out here to close it out. Uh, you, in order to become a millionaire, you don't necessarily have to do anything that's illegal, but you do have to be a fundamentally unethical person to become a billionaire. Well, that includes not letting your people take bathroom breaks. <laughs> yeah. That's the yes, thing. That's the exactly. thing that gets me most. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that was that felt good. I'm anyway. glad we got that off our chest, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we have a, a special treat to close this out. Uh, yes, we do, boys. Uh, I'm sure you already know this. We've been doing this podcast for a year now. Congratulations. Whole year. How's it feel? Uh, it feels good feels good you know i mean i think we get better and better all the time yeah it's this constant improvement yeah we're just <laughs> now i think now we're the number one podcast isn't that right in the worldwide i i have i have in a in a special wonks with whiskey exclusive commissioned poll yes uh the <laughs> results came in and we are now the number one podcast of the people yes polled. yes Thank it you. is the we're number one in the very specific podcast category of mothers who listen to their sons' podcasts. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Well, well, Clay, let it let let the let our dear listeners know what we have in store now as a, as a little treat for our one year anniversary. Yes. Yeah, so um, you probably don't know this viewer, uh, but we mess up a lot. <laughs> a lot. A lot we messed and up. And you couldn't uh, even tell. <laughs> yeah, and you had no idea because I always just cut it out at the Play end. Play regularly makes me sound uh, a lot smarter than I actually am. I'm about to make that sound smarter. Than <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's going to put that British accent filter on there. You're going to sound so good. <laughs> 
but we have a, a wonderful little a blooper reel to close this out for the last few minutes here. Um, so hope you enjoy. And uh, I guess we'll close it out now if you want to follow us on Twitter. It's at wonks underscore w underscore whiskey. Uh, if you haven't you know, liked, reviewed, subscribed, told all your friends, whatever else about our podcast. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a year. Maybe it's time, man. Maybe it's time. Thank yeah. you. Thank you to like the four regular listeners that we have. <laughs> and uh, until next time, keep your glasses full. Are we clapping on three or clap, clap after, after three? three? This is yeah. the question. So it's one, two, three, clap. Okay. Clap. One, clap. two, three, clap. One, two, three, clap. All right. Yeah. One. Yeah. Two, three. <laughs> Tom didn't clap, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. How how am I supposed to start this? I don't even remember. It's been like it feels like it's been like a year since I've had the news. Uh, Hello. Welcome to Wants. Hello. Welcome to Wants. Hello. I'm a little drunk. Welcome to Wants. <laughs> I'm Clay. Um. Okay. God, how do you start the B block? It's been a fucking million years since I've done a B block. The same Jesus Christ that's described in the, um, uh, you know, uh, Christian faith. How much whiskey was in that hot toddy? Wow. Um. She um. Now you knocked me off track. I hate you a little bit. <laughs> Uh, most outages fell disproportionately in lower income and minority ethnic ZIP uh, zip. Did you just did you just spell out the word zip? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I'm also the, the as a side and fine as a side note, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you proud? I've gone a whole episode without getting up to pee. I'm very proud, actually. We're we're rolling through well, this. I really uh, got pee, so let's. We're do making it. good okay. time, though. So yeah. <laughs> uh, which then later led to the uh, Fair Label Standards Act of uh, 1938. Um, even you want to take another shot at that law name? What did I say? No, did I just slur through it? Or? The Fair Label Standards Act. Don't shame him. <laughs> Words are hard. Hit on a pretty. Who are you texting? Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Ep- uh, we're gonna have to demote this guy to co-host. Wow, that hurts my feelings. Co-host in training. <laughs> Special re- reoccurring guest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rally around the driver. Rally around the rally around the flag effect. Um, as a result, yeah. she has to run in a special election. Uh, she's being. Uh, challenged by uh, uh, Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly. Can you edit that out, Clay? What, your long period of silence? <clears throat> and the resulting conversation afterwards. 
Yeah. No, I think I'm going to leave it in. <laughs> I hate you. Ralph Nader broke yeah. that twice, but he was running as an independent, not for any party. Yeah. So. Which, again, goes back to kind of this circular problem we keep... I'm sorry. Hold on. I got to go back. It wasn't Ralph Nader. It was that other guy. Perot? Was I here? Yeah. Right? Oh, don't worry. I'm going to clean all of this up. It's going to say we're going to sound sober as a baby by the end. One, two, three. Great job, guys.